In Genesis 15, um, the verse number one, the opening words read as follows. After these things, the word of the Lord came on to Abram. After these things. After what things? Well, if you can cast your mind back to last week, uh, the previous chapter, chapter 14, Abram had engaged in battle with the uh, Babylonian kings. You will remember how these four Babylonian kings came to contend against the five kings in the five uh, cities near Abram. They were victorious and they took captives away with them. One of their captives was Lot and no doubt his family. And Abram went to fight. The man was victorious. What a great uh, battle uh, it was in that Abram, having such a small army, with God's help, overtook a great army of the Babylonian kings. Remember, the Babylonian kings would have been at the cutting edge of modern warfare of that day. And here was a simple traveler, a stranger in the land, coming against them and was victorious. God was with them. The same way God was with Gideon, God was with Abraham. And the small number became a mighty number in the hand of God. So, the battle is now over. And it was after that when God spoke to Abraham again. Melchizedek had come. We believe that's not an ordinary man. That was a special individual that appeared to be uh, Christ himself coming to talk to Abraham. But now that all of that's gone, all of that activity. Now, in chapter 15, after these things, the word of the Lord came on to Abram in a vision saying, Fear not. Now, why would God tell Abram to fear not? It's because he was afraid. The man was fearful. The man was anxious. There was something weighing very heavily upon his heart and his mind and his soul. You might wonder what in the world could it be? He's just been victorious in battle. He's just proven his military might. What could he be afraid of? What about retribution? What about a retaliation attack? Perhaps he was afraid that the Babylonian kings would regroup and would come in search of this man Abraham and wipe them all out. Maybe that was what he was afraid of. I don't know. We're not clearly told. But anyway, at this point, he was considering things. Obviously, he was fearful. And the Lord came to settle his anxious heart and assure him, Abram, fear not. Fear not. What's interesting here is the amount of conversation between Abraham and Lot. Sorry, between Abraham and God. They're always talking one to the other. If you go back just for a moment, let me show you the number of times when Abraham talks to the Lord. Chapter 12 and the verse 7. Let's go there. And the Lord appeared unto Abram and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. And there built he an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. So he built an altar unto the Lord there. That's him talking to the Lord. You go to verse 8. At the end of verse 8 we read, There he builded an altar unto the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. Again, he's calling upon God. He's talking with the Lord. Go into then the following chapter, chapter 13, the verse 4. We read again, Unto the place of the altar which he had made there at the first. And there Abram called 
of the name of the Lord. He's always talking to the Lord. Likewise, the Lord is always talking to him. Go to chapter 12, again the verse 1. 12 verse 1. Now the Lord had said unto Abram. Chapter 12 verse 7. And the Lord appeared unto Abram and said. Chapter 13 verse 14. And the Lord said unto Abram. Chapter 15 verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying. So you have this two-way conversation. Abram's bringing his petitions, his prayers, his requests, his anxieties, his fears, his pursuits, his desires, constantly to the Lord. He's praying, he's worshipping, he's trusting in the Lord, and the Lord's talking to him. That's the way the Christian life ought to be. That's mutual, ongoing conversation. It's not the matter of sitting down one time, saying a wee prayer, getting saved, and that's it. Life continues on. That, that's not what salvation is. Salvation is continual repentance and a life of communion with God. Abraham shows that. Now, like I said, Abraham was clearly anxious, worried perhaps about the possibilities of retribution. And you know what it's like at night time, anxieties just seem to be inflated. Things you might worry about for the day just seem to mull over your mind all night. And whether you're half awake or half asleep, your heart's pulsating. As, 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 as physicians, as doctors sometimes say, you might go into a panic attack. It feels like you're jumping out of an airplane and you're skydiving. Your heart is racing. Your blood pressure's up. You're breaking sweat. But in reality... You're just lying flat in your bed, anxious, afraid, troubled, concerned. Here was a man who was anxious, afraid, troubled, and concerned. What was God's response? The Lord was watching his servant Abraham. And chapter 15, verse 1, is God's response to a troubled Abram. So, let's read verse 1 again as we progress through this portion. After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram. I am. I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. The Lord comes to comfort Abram. The Lord comes to give Abram courage with these words. You see, men and women, firstly, he tells Abraham, Abram, I am thy shield. That's the first thing he said to fearful Abraham. Anxieties, fears, concerns will breed abundantly in the mind that is not fixed upon Jehovah. We have in our minds and our thoughts upon the Lord. When that's not the case, anxieties flourish. That's a reality. Now I know there are people who are not saved. And their thoughts are never upon Jehovah. There's no awareness of it. They're dead in their trespassing sins. And things like anxiety and fear don't seem to really trouble them. Until something bad happens. And then all of a sudden there's a scramble to find help, to find God, to say a wee prayer. It's all too late. That's often the case. Sadly, that's a reality. For anyone who is prone to be anxious or afraid, this is the source of your comfort and courage. Because look what the Lord said. Fear not Abram. 
How do you fear not? It's easy telling someone not to be afraid. But he says to Abraham, here's the way, here's the answer. Fear not, Abram, I am. And if the Lord would have said nothing more, that would have been sufficient. For you can understand what the Lord's doing here. He's saying to Abraham, the thing that you fear, what you're concerned about, stop looking at it. I am. Look at me. Look at me. Look at my supremacy. Look at my greatness. Look at my power. Look at my preserving hand upon you all of this time. And so the Lord tells him, get your hand, your mind off the fear. Think upon me. That is the answer. Sometimes easier said than done. Abram isn't under any threat in the sense that there's someone standing with a sword to his throat. He appears to be afraid of things that haven't happened and there's no immediate evidence that it will happen. It's the possibility. It's something that might happen. It's the worst case scenario. He's troubled about it. And he's obsessed about it. So the Lord says stop. Stop regurgitating your thoughts there. Instead think on me. I am thy shield. That's the way I deal with fear. That's a reality men and women. I don't know how much. Abraham really understood of God. I don't know if he understood the extent and the excellency of the almighty creator. But for you and me, we have the whole word of God. We have Genesis right through to Revelation to understand who God is and what God does. The Lord would say the same to us. Look to me. I am. I am thy shield. Not we word shield there. It's specifically used to encourage Abram. If it was that he was scared of divine retribution, this is what Abram needed. He needed a protector, a shield. That's what a shield does. Protects you from the sword, from the enemy, from the battle. Will you turn with me for a moment to Psalm? The Psalm 3 and verse 3. Because here's another man who was equally troubled and afraid. Psalm 3 and the verse 3. This psalm talks about the great David, the giant slayer, the king of Israel. But he was afraid. Do you know why he was afraid? Because of his own son. His son Absalom was chasing him, trying to slay him, trying to kill his own father. Look at the title. And remember, these titles are inspired as well. You will find in parts of the Bible uh, where they quote a psalm, they will quote the title of the psalm as well as the psalm. Because the whole thing is inspired. Okay, so Psalm 3, read the title with me. A psalm of David when he fled from Absalom his son. And look what he said. Lord, why are they increased that trouble me? Many are they that rise up against me. Many there be which say of my soul, there is no help for him in God. The point being made there, they're saying about, Abraham, about David, he's no hope, he's no helper. God's not going to help him, God's forsaken him. So the enemy's against him, they talk against him, but then come to verse 3. Here's the exact same language now. Maybe David knew. Genesis 15 verse 1. Verse 3 of Psalm 3. But thou, O Lord... Art a shield. Same word. 
Thou art a shield for me. My glory and the lifter up of mine head. My own son seeks to remove my head from my shoulders. But Lord, you're my shield. I'll trust in thee. The Lord did bring him through, of course. We turn with me as well to another psalm, Psalm 18. Again, the same language is used here. Psalm 18. This is the psalm that I like to refer to as the the rock psalm because it refers to the rock over and over again. Verse 18, sorry, Psalm 18, verse 1. I will love thee, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer and my my God, my strength, in whom I will trust, my buckler and the horn of my salvation and my high tower. What's the psalmist doing here? He is drawing confidence from the reality that his God is his protector. Think about this language for a moment here. Uh, Again, the psalmist uh, is in need of help here. Let's read the title again. It might help us just to understand the circumstances. So Psalm 18, the title, To the chief musician, a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord, who spake unto the Lord the words of this song in the day that the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul, and he said. So Saul's been chasing him. And he says after he's escaped, he, he doesn't just say that was a fluky one or that was a good one. By my skill, I avoided my enemy Saul. No, he gives God the thanks. Always good to give God thanks when there's victory over anything, whatever it may be. Don't be like the lep- uh, those who had leprosy. Only one returned to give thanks to God. And so that's what David's doing here. Verse number one, I will love thee, O Lord, my strength. The Lord's, as he could testify, he's experienced this, the Lord is my rock. Now think about that. If you have a good, firm foundation, look at the next word here, rock, good, firm foundation, and my fortress. If you can think on a a massive fortress on four sides, front, back, and two sides, built all around you, and you have a deliverer outside, a rescuer, the verse goes on to describe who the deliverer is. He's my God. So here's this being God who stands outside. You have this fortress that you're in and you're on a good solid rock. Now read on with me. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God is my strength. He's the one who enables you to stand. Keep reading. In whom I will trust my buckler. That word buckler is the exact same Hebrew word that's used in Genesis 15 and in Psalm 3. It's the word shield. Exact same word in the Hebrew, but it's translated buckler here for whatever reason. Anyway, the Lord is my strength in whom I will trust, my shield, my buckler, and the horn of my salvation. The horn is someone who sounds the horn when danger is near, that you may avoid uh, falling into the trap of the enemy. And then the last part of the verse says, and my high tower. So think about all those things. If you had a solid foundation, if you had a fortress on every side, a safe wall, if you had a deliverer outside who was 
God fighting for you. And he's also given strength to your mind, your bones, your spirit, your soul. You can trust in him. If he was your shield and he was the horn of your salvation, alerting you to danger before it even comes, and he's like a high tower lifting you above the danger, you would say, well, I think I'm relatively safe. I think I'm relatively safe today. And that's what we have. That's what God is to us. That's what David's saying. The Lord is these things. Meditate upon that. Day in, day out. He's our rock, our fortress, our deliverer. He's our God, our strength, our buckler, our horn of our salvation and our high tower. So go back to our text then. Abram. Abram. I am thy shield. Now why is it then? Well you think of the several layers of defense there. The fortress, the rock so on and so forth. Why then does any bad thing happen to us? Surely the Lord and his fortress and his foundation, his shield and so on, is able to protect us from absolutely every possible, every conceivable danger and problem. Why then do bad things happen to us? Well, for several reasons. Number one, sin has its consequences. When you sin, you will bear the consequences. For the more trials come, The Lord never said he would place us in a safe house so that we could sleep the whole way to heaven. Never said that. We also live in a world that are real things to deal with, real challenges, as Abraham had. Remember all the challenges Abraham had, okay? So he made the mistake of going into Egypt and telling lies and they end up taking his wife on him. And he's left a few camels instead of his wife. Then there was the dispute between Lot's herdsmen and his herdsmen and all the things that had to be worked through. The threat and the danger of battle. Abraham wasn't left out of the world, but God said, I will be your fortress in the world. I will be your shield in the world. I will be your strong tower. I will be your high tower. When you confront dangers and difficulties, I will be there. You'll face them, but I'll be there with you. That's the key. That was the encouragement for Abram here. I'm your shield. But go on. Because the Lord says something, uh, something more here. Something truly excellent. So, Genesis 15 verse 1. Fear not, Abram. I am thy shield. And thy exceeding great reward. I'm your reward, Abram. It's me. It's me. That's a delightful phrase, men and women. This man was filled with anxiety and fear. Let's say the Babylonian armies came. They stripped Abram of his cattle. They stripped Abram of his servants and maidservants. If they stripped Abram of his uh, wife. If they stripped Abram of his health. Even if they stripped Abram of his life. They cannot strip Abram. Of his greatest treasure. The Lord. Nothing can take. The Lord away from Abram. That's the point God's making here. Abram I am thy exceeding great reward. Not your herds. Not your riches. Not even your wife. I've, a greater re- I've got an exceeding reward for you. And it is me. You see, men and women, the ultimate desire of every human being isn't possessions. It's the Lord. 
God designed us that we would walk with him in fellowship. We are most satisfied when we're nearest to God. That's why we sang that hymn earlier on there. About being in heaven and seeing the Lord. And heaven would be no heaven if God wasn't there. We would be unsatisfied. That's the reality. You could wander the streets of gold all you want. Be hungry for more. You could have the greatest crown in heaven. You could see the pearly gates. You could be swinging on the pearly gates every day if you wanted. You'd be unsatisfied. Because pearly, pearly gates, golden streets, rivers of crystal, they're boring after a few minutes. As nice and all as they are, it's Christ. It is Christ. We desire to know and see it as God. He is our prize. Like I said, Absent from the body, present from the Lord. Sorry, absent from the body, present with the Lord was uh, Paul's great mindset for life. If he dies, he will go to be with the Savior. See, Christ is our reward and minimum. That should excite you tonight. That should excite you. The Lord's saying, I'm giving you me. I'm giving you me. Imagine you fell in love with someone. And that person said, for Christmas, I'm going to send you, I don't know, a present. But I'm going to be across the Atlantic Ocean somewhere. You'd be like, oh, right, well, thanks for the present. And if that went on for too long, you'd begin to get weary of them. It's not the gift you want, it's the person. And it's the same with the Lord. It's the Lord you want. Not the even good gifts of life and health and all of that. Those things are good and we want them, we need them. But there's something greater. It's the Lord himself. Listen, God has designed you and me to enjoy good company. That's the most simple way I can put it. God has, has wired us that we enjoy good company. You will enjoy company with people who are intellectual. You have to really learn from them. You might enjoy company with people who are comforting and encouraging. They're there just to pick you up and help you. Whenever you meet them, they're very positive and warming and heartening to you there's people you will meet and are just enjoyable to be with they make you laugh they cheer you up we are designed to gravitate towards good company well the best of company is God there is no person who can you know be, be perfectly encouraging or perfectly bring happiness or perfectly bring satisfaction but God And that's what heaven will be. It is in the company of the almighty God. Of Christ himself. I believe I'll laugh in heaven. The Lord has given us the ability to laugh. It's said in the Bible to be a good thing. You have no doubt I'll laugh in heaven. Sometimes people seem to have this bizarre idea. They walk around heaven. uh, Very solemn and serious. And very sour and. I'm going to be heaven. We enjoy. We literally will enjoy fellowship with the Lord. Isn't there times in your own life you sat down to read the Bible and pray and the Lord just draws specially near. Brings a smile to your face. There's a, a depth of value to that moment when you feel the Lord's presence drawn near. That's what heaven will be like. Only a thousand times more intense and stronger and better. Life, men and women, life in this world wasn't given to satisfy us. 
God didn't bring you into this world to satisfy you with life and stuff. He brought you into this world to bring you home to heaven. Save you. Redeem you. To give you the joys of glory and heaven and fellowship forevermore. We're in this life just for a little while. Abram, remember this, Abram. If you even, listen, I'm your shield, Abram. But even if you do lose everything, remember this. I'm your exceeding great reward. Think on me. Fear losing me, not your, not your stuff, not your life even. Fear wandering away from me. Fear that you would get so caught up with what you had, your physical life, your physical possessions, that you forget the value of the one who loves you. I'm your exceeding reward. Get your eyes upon me. Listen, life, whether it's health, prosperity, whatever, that's just like a bride's dress. Think of the bride getting ready for a wedding day and the obscene, obscene amount of time and effort and photos and researching and internet websites trying to find the right dress. And then when the dress is found, there has to be bridesmaids there that day to lift the dress up so it doesn't trail on the ground and get dirty. And the dress is the be all and end all, isn't it? What happens after the wedding day? Goes in the box. That's it. Sometimes they'll sell it. Take it to the shop and trade it in. Because the bride has now got her groom. Okay. The bride might put her dress in a box and put it in a cupboard somewhere. She might feel like putting her groom in a box and putting him in a cupboard on some occasions. That won't work out. Uh, anyway... The point I'm making is this. All the effort in the dress is just forgotten about. You don't dress up every day in your wedding dress. It's gone. It's the experience of the marriage now. And that's what it's like. We have this body. We have this dress. And we try to protect it. And we try to keep it well. And we look after it. And that's fair enough. We ought to look after this vessel. But someday, this body will be taken off soul will go to be the Lord and literally this dress will be put in a box and it'll be buried in the ground and I'm enjoying my relationship with the Lord that's what he's saying here Abram I am my shield I'm your exceeding great reward don't worry about these other things I'm yours forevermore that's the courage and the comfort that's found in this text can I take a few minutes just to walk you through the covenant that's made in this text as well? We read the whole chapter. Let's look at it really quickly, okay? We have time to do so. The covenant now is found in the verses 2 right to the very end of the chapter. You see, what's extraordinary here is the Lord has just said to Abram, um, I am my shield and exceeding great reward. And what's Abram's first words? Read verse 2. You'd expect Abram now to burst into song and praise about the excellencies of Jehovah. He doesn't do that. Do you know why? Because Abram was a real man. He's a real man. And although these words of truth you may have received in the exact same way Abram has, yes, actually, that is helpful. That God is my shield and exceeding great reward, but there's other problems in my life. And immediately, 
verse 2, it's like the Lord has opened up Abram's heart, assuring Abram, and now he's just letting all these other burdens flow as well. Lord, here's another burden. Here's another fear. So in verse 2, Abram says immediately, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless? He's no son. That's troubling him. The Lord has told Abram on two, if not three occasions already, that he would give him seed that will be as numerous as the sand. He was going to have a massive family, and now Abram's getting no younger, nor is Sarai. And they're looking at each other and they're thinking, well, we've been wandering here for ten years. We've been in this land now ten years, in our tents with Lot. Lot's now gone, we've fought battles, the Lord's prospered us. But where's the seed? Where's the promised child? Ten years on, still no answer. The Lord answers him then in verse 4. And the Lord said, Behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir. Uh, Abraham said, I've only got one servant. Is he going to be my heir? By adoption. That's the idea. Well, verse 4, the Lord says, Behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. Listen, Abraham, verse 5. He takes Abraham for a walk. There's a great scene here. He brought him forth. Abraham is taken for a walk by Jehovah. There's something else. And look what the Lord, look what the Lord takes him. And there's value in this men and women. And verse 5, and he brought him forth abroad and said, look now toward heaven. Look at the stars, Abram. Look now toward heaven and tell the stars. Number them. If thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, so shall thy seed be. Can you understand what God's doing here? He said to Abram, listen. See those stars up there? They're more than you can number. And by the way, that's way beyond the science of that day. Um, I mean, scientifically, it was thought there were, over the years, there was a greater and greater number of stars. But initially, uh, they counted, men spent obscene amounts of time just lying, counting the stars. And they made up, uh, well, they, they made a number that they count to. And that was beat again by some of the better eyesight, basically. And then uh, Galileo made the, the telescope, could see into uh, the heavens more there was more stars they could ever understand never fought before but here you have in Genesis 15 God making the statement the stars are innumerable way before science even conceived that as being a possibility but anyway verse 5 the Lord says to Abram listen I made all them stars I put them there I created them Abram I said to you I'll give you a son can you seriously, Abram, look at the stars and wonder if it's possible that I give you a sun? I hold the planets. The sun sits in its place. Earth orbits round it. Listen, I'm controlling it all. I can give you seed. I can give you a sun. Now look at Abram's response. Verse 6. So often God takes his people back to creation and reminds them of his power he creates. Verse 6, and Abram, and he, Abram, believed the Lord. He was convinced again. 
The Lord relieved his fear of fear, the fear of being attacked by being a shield and exceeding great reward. He now relieves the fear of being childless and the promise not being fulfilled through him. God says, I can do it. I've made the stars. So verse 6, just by the way, verse 6. This is misunderstood sometimes. And he believed in the Lord. And he counted it to him for righteousness. That's not Abram's salvation. Some people say that. I don't agree with that. Um, Abraham was talking to God chapters ago. All right. Anyway, it says here that Abram believed in the Lord and he, God, counted it to him for righteousness. So was the fact that Abram exercising belief, is that why God saved them? Because that's the idea some people would convey about this text. Um, what's really happening here is this. God had given him the ability to believe. All right. Uh, Paul puts it this way in Romans 4, that God, that as David said, in another place, God imputeth righteousness. God places faith. God places righteousness in the individual. And here you have now Abram exercising his faith, exercising his belief. He didn't produce it. He's exercising what God gave him. Now understand that. All right. And God rewards him for it. That's the marvel of the gospel. God saves you and then he rewards you for exercising the gifts that he gave you. You know, in a, in a way, it's like a father giving his child, I don't know, let's say a, a spade. And he teaches his son how to use a spade. And of course he has given to his son life in the sense that he's his father. And then the child takes a spade that his father or mother gave them and he goes out using the, uh, the skills that his father has given him and he begins to dig. And in response to that, the father rewards him for digging the hole. That's what's happening here. God gave Abraham faith. Abraham now exercised the faith and God rewards him for exercising it. That's a good and a gracious God. But anyway, Abram's concerns are not finished yet. There's one more. Look at verse 7. And this brings us then near conclusion, verse 7. And he said unto him, I am the Lord that brought thee out of the earth of the Chaldees to give thee the land to inherit. And Abram said, and he said, Lord God, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit? Here's the next concern. Lord, you've, you've called me to this place. And I'm wandering here. And I'm walking now for nearly a decade. I've still nowhere to call home. Where's my family going to settle? And the Lord has said to him in verse 7, Listen, Abram, I have called you out of Ur of the Chaldees. I've left all those other people there. They're going to perish. I've called you out. I'm not going to forsake you now. But look what Abram calls him in verse, in verse 8. Yeah, verse 8. And he, Abram, said, Lord God, that means master, sovereign master, the creator. That's the idea that he's using here. The sovereign creating master. Whereby shall I know that I shall inherit this land? How do I know I'm going to get this land? You know, can you prove to me, can you give me something to show me I'm going to keep this land? Well, verses 9 to the end is how God shows him he's going to get the land. It's a covenant. So let's scan through this quickly. Verse 9. 
God said to Abram in verse 9, take a heifer, a goat, a ram, turtle dove, pigeon. And then Abram takes them, he cuts them up, doesn't cut the birds up, but he cuts up the other animals, the, the heifer and the goat and the ram, and he sets them all out. He divided them up. Because Abram knows what's happening here. This is a, this is a contract. God was entering into a contract. Uh, the, the form of making a contract in those days was to take an animal, to, to slay the animal, and to have the animal on either side, and for the men to walk through this, making a covenant one with the other. A covenant made by blood. Right? This was ultimately representing Christ. Come to that in a second. Now go to verse 11 here. Abram cut all the animals up. I'm sure the stench was strong. The birds above smelt it. Verse 11. And when the fowls came down upon the carcasses, Abram drove them away. Here you have these birds coming down to pick at the, at, at, at the sacrifice. And this is like, I think, sometimes us. We're filled with fear and dread. The doubts come in. Will God ever save me? Because Abram had the wake here. The covenant, he had everything prepared. But God wasn't showing up. And all these things are coming down to take the covenant, uh, the sacrifice away. But Abram chased him. He wouldn't allow the doubt. He wouldn't allow the fear, as it were, to come. He's going to chase anything that will take this away. He is going to enter into a covenant with God. He's not going to walk away from this. And after all of his labors, verse 12 a deep sleep fell on him. He was exhausted. But in the will of God, a deep sleep fell upon him. The darkness came upon him. And verse 13. And God, and he said unto Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger and a lie. He talks about his children that are going to grow into a great nation. They're going to go into Egypt. God's going to uh, judge that nation for all that they've done. But, verse 16, God's going to give them the land of the Amorites. That's where Abram was, in the land of the Amorites. But look at verse 16, it's very interesting. But in the fourth generation they shall come hither again. They'll leave Egypt, and they'll come hither again. For the iniquity of the Amorites not yet full. What does that mean? God said, I'm going to give the Amorites four more generations to repent. I'm going to give them time to repent. That they would be saved. Their iniquity is not yet full. I'm still going to be merciful. But four generations passed. And then a time came. When God sent the children of the Israelites. Under Joshua's hand. To annihilate them. Time was up. I don't want you to miss that verse. The people of the land. God would wipe the land of them because of their habitual sin and refusal to repent. You cannot, you cannot live and live and live and live in rebellion to God and refuse to bow the knee and expect that God will never do anything about it. He comes. He comes to cut off. He comes to close the door. Judgment comes. Verse 17. This is fascinating. Remember all the animal parts are cut up. Preparation for the covenant has been made. Verse 17. And it came to pass that when the sun went down and it was dark, behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp that passed between those pieces. In the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. 
And what does that mean? I'll tell you what that means. Abram had made all this, all these animals. The idea of the covenant was that two men walked through it together. And the covenant would be made. But Abram didn't walk through God. Christ walked through it himself. He is seen in the furnace and the burning lamp. That's a picture of Christ. These represent Christ. And that's exactly what would happen when Christ would come. Christ went to the cross alone. He made the covenant alone. He paid the price. He died in Calvary that sinners might be saved. No one was standing holding Jesus' hand. Nobody was going through it with them. He went through the covenant sacrifice alone. Now, men and women tonight, maybe if I can put you in to verse 16, using that word, the iniquity of you is not yet full. The iniquity of the the, um, Amorites is not yet full. Perhaps your iniquity is not yet full. God might give you four more years. He might give you 40 more years. The day comes when life ends. What you need to do now is to enter into a covenant with God. He covenants to save. He went to the garden alone. He suffered alone. He died alone. He was buried alone. He rose alone. He ascended alone. And he's going to come back to bring everybody with him. Are you saved tonight? Are you like Abraham? Is the Lord your reward? Or are you still going to suffer the reward of your sin? Are you still going to pay the penalty that your sin deserves? Or is Christ your reward? Saved? I trust you are. That's the comfort, courage. That's the covenant that God made with Abram. Let's take our hymn books this evening and turn with me to the hymn 535.